Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. I'll make a promise with y'all. Uh, I love people being real. And I, I mean, not particularly like being real back, but I'll be vulnerable for y'all. Does that sound good? I mean, I'll make a promise with you. If I'd be 100% real with my life, y'all will have to be 100% real with yours. Not with me, but with God. I mean, I do care, but it's with God. Sound good? All right. So my season right now is pretty chaotic. I'm really in a tough spot right now. And what? whenever he asked me to preach, I was like, man, what am I going to preach on? I was like, how about David? Mainly because I love David, like, so much. I, I said before that I love war. And especially when you combine that with David, I'm like, Best best story ever. Sound good? All right, so I'm going to preach on David. He has the epitome of where the season I am right now. And many of y'all know David and Goliath, right? I'm, my voice is cracking. Many of y'all know uh, the story of David and Goliath, right? So I don't believe that would be the most impactful story that David has occurred. That That is the most important time of his life. I believe that there's a story in 1 Samuel 30 where it is the most impact on his kingdom. And I say that because I, I did a lot of studying because I don't usually study the Bible, but David just made me want to study it. And uh, I need to use the mic. So first I want to lay it out because it's the 30th chapter and then we're talking about David. So this is David's life. We got the kingdom of Israel and there's one man. His name is King Saul. He was the chosen king for a selected amount of time. And then David came into the picture. He was a young man, and this guy has a lot of issues. Oh, you're bringing me into water. Thank you. Hold on. Give a hand for James, please, so I can drink my water. I was stalling. So David became king. Not just kidding. It was Saul. Saul became king, and then uh, he did some bad things. He didn't. He wasn't supposed to. So uh, the Lord sent Samuel to David to the house of Jesse, and he has some daddy issues, David, because uh, his dad actually, whenever he knew that Samuel was coming to anoint as king, he didn't even get his son to come to the table. He was like, "Get all of your sons." I don't have that in the scripture, but I'm just going to paraphrase that. He's like, get all of your sons, and then we're going we're gonna to anoint king. And David was in the fields with his brothers, and that struck a chord with me, too, is because uh, David has a lot of issues in his life, but he's still known as the man after God's own heart. And uh, so we have Goliath, David and Goliath. I'm, give, I'm giving you a brief synopsis. <clears throat> A brief synopsis of his life. And he fights Goliath, first Philistine he killed, and it was like a nine foot something dude, and he was a warlord. So after that, Saul gets pretty pissed off because David becomes like, he realizes that he is a favor of the Lord and Saul doesn't anymore. So he starts throwing spears and a bunch of stuff at him. And this dude was, Saul was the epitome of a father figure for David where he was 
Dave was actually his armor bearer. He was just in general his mentor for a long period of time. So whenever you start, when the king starts throwing spears at you, become the enemy of the state, and he had to run and flee for his life. And with a select amount of people, maybe like 600 men, decided to come with him. He made his bride that Saul gave him, gave him to another man while he fled. And he became an enemy of the state and was hunted down and actually had the opportunity to kill Saul twice. So that's also a great time. Is whenever, I want to point out that he was anointed king whenever he was like maybe 16, something around there. And whenever he started to serve Saul, it may have seemed like that is a perfect opportunity to become king. And then something happened where he just started throwing spears. And then for from the time that he was anointed king, it was about 20 years until he became king with a bunch of trials and tribulations, obviously. So he took Michael, which was his bride at the time, gave it to another man. And David, while running for his life, spared, his, spared Saul's life twice. And what I'm going to, he actually had to go to the land of the Philistines to run from Saul, to flee from Saul. And whenever you're running from, like, it's not, it's not like running from the USA. Like, these are your, the chosen people. Like, he was anointed king. It's like a president all of a sudden have to run from his life from his own people. Like, like it's that kind of thing. Like he was like chosen to be their leader. And then all of a sudden they start throwing spears and he has to run from his life and hide in the very, it's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it in a modern spin on it. It's like maybe that we're fighting maybe ISIS or something like that. And you're a military leader. And then you have to go into that land and become one of them. And that's what David was. He had to serve under a Philistine king named Achish and Gath. What, uh, I don't know if many of you know that, but he had to serve under maybe a year and three months it was that he served under them. And Achish was like, hey, man, what'd you do today? And, and David was like, oh, man, we, we hunted and we, and, we, and we killed some of these Israelite tribes. And really, it was just some Malachites or something like that. He's like, oh, that's great. He's like, you're awesome. And David, I mean, everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. Like, that is a, like, this dude just killed a nine foot, and he's, like, 17 years old or whatever he was. And they're like, okay, you can be one of us. And he asked him to be his bodyguard. And then uh, Saul, in the next chapter, is killed by the Philistines. And most of his brothers, no, his sons, yeah. I'm nervous, guys. Okay, so Saul's sons are killed, and Saul is killed. But that war that they were going with, David was the personal bodyguard of Achish, so they're all going to meet up with the Israelites and kill them. For some reason, the commander's like, wait, if we're going to fight Israelites, why do we have Israelites on our team? <laughs> let's, let's send those guys back, which was awesome because they don't have to kill Saul, which was he was avoiding twice. So we begin just a story of whenever they get back. 
So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. So while I was studying it, uh, now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. Raided in the Greek actually means stripped. And in the season I am right now, I felt like this was an amazing story, actual historical perspective on it where David was in such a tough spot in his life. So, as I said that it means stripped, that their personal village was stripped. It was taken, all of their livestock, it, you read later on, it says that their livestock was taken, and then their city was burned. So whenever they come, like, they, they've endured a lot of stuff, but, like, when you come back from, like, almost fighting your fellow brethren, you're like, oh, I can't wait to see my wife. I can't wait to see my kids. Can't wait to pick them up. And then from the distance, you just see ash and smoke. And you're like, what's going on? So that kind of puts a personal perspective on it. It's like, man, I can't wait to go see my family. So I, just because I didn't have to go kill my family, I'm glad I get to go see them now. And you see it's stripped, taken all the livestock, all of your children, and the wives. And another thing I want to say is, it's not that they just took them and, like, put them in a padded room and palace. What they, the Amalekites did was rape the women and the children, and they sold them as slaves, sex slaves. So out of all the hope that they had, like, okay, maybe they just killed them, but it says that they didn't harm any of them, that they were intended to be slaves, so that rips all hope from under you. Awesome. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm just going to be real about it. That's terrible. Like these guys, as we see in verse 3, it says, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters have taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. So I want to show in verse 4 when it says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. For guys that say, man, it's like you're not a man if you cry. Like, I beg to differ because I've seen so many circumstances in the Bible where the, the manliest man I've ever seen cried like Jesus wept there's a verse like two two words this is Jesus wept I mean the guy that we're supposed to imitate cried so I mean there's no argument that you can make that says man you can't cry I mean I don't say be a sissy about it but I mean people cry man especially whenever your I mean your wives and your daughters are taken you have the opportunity and you have all the right to cry Maybe weep aloud till you have no strength left to weep. So since we're talking about biblical days, just fighting battles and all of that kind of stuff, you can plug it back into like the military where these guys 
whenever they're off in battle, they're like, man, I can't, I can't wait to see my, I can't wait to see my kids. I can't wait to see my, my wife. I can't wait to hug them. I can't just bring them all together and hug them. And that, that's the essential goal and motivation of, of the Israelites, of the military is, man, I can't wait to get back to my family. You see it in movies. I mean, some of y'all know people in the military. They can't, whenever they, there's videos all on YouTube, whenever they, you see them and they're like, oh, hey, and they scoop them up. Well, guess what? That's the same thing what happens right here, but that was stripped and taken and their village was burned. And that's the same thing that happens spiritually to us, if I can make that parallel for y'all, is that... Whenever something is, like, that was their hope, like, their motivation to keep on fighting, if I can make that parallel for y'all, is whenever we have a hope, and it's just, like, straight taken from us, like, our family or something like that is just taken from it and, and burned. It just feels like we have no more hope, and maybe, I'm on, I cry sometimes, but hey, I'm in that season, Right? It feels like it's just taken from us and we have no more hope. It's just, I never had the experience where my sister was taken or my mother was taken, but I cry. I, she's right there. I love you. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean to sound mean, but yeah, man, if like the women in my life were taken, that would be so burdensome. It would just, it would destroy me and the devil will take your hope to get you weak. That's what he did with David and his men. It says, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And then, yeah, I mean, they wept aloud too. So that's also what I want to point out. First Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord. So, you have the picture of everything was taken, burned, all livestock, all children. They know that they're going to be sold slaves. Everyone weeps, everybody, even David, because it's, it's, I mean, you have the right, even though we're Christians, we still feel. We still have emotions. We still have the opportunity to feel and that's what David greatly point out. In Psalms, you read his heart cry, his, his diary, if you, wouldn't, if you want to say, where he just poured out his heart to the Lord. And uh, also I want to point out when it says, uh, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Whenever you have reached the point, whenever you have no hope, you start blaming others for that you just start people people usually that had hope whenever something happened in their life and, the, and it was totally taken from them everyone that has hope you start to throw stones at it could be maybe your leaders it could be maybe a mentor whenever they have hope and they have the same situation that you're in you start to throw stones and you're like i'm not where i am because of this person and that's what, I mean, I've done that before. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Okay. So bitterness because of a loss of hope still doesn't produce strength for you. 
And David was the one that would always have strength. We always hear about David overcoming, David overcoming this trial, this tribulation. And their men know that and they, because they, he showed them how to do that. But David was the only one that had intimacy with the Lord to understand that strength. Because whenever he sought the Lord, that's whenever it produced strength in his life, where he had hope in his life. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I just said in the notes. But I had to re- review it just so I didn't miss anything. But, guys, do not find strength in your leaders, in your pastor, in your family, in your, in your friends, because that's something the Lord showed David, is because he trusted in Saul. Saul started throwing spears at him. He started to trust Israel. Israel turned on him. He realized that he eventually had to trust in the Lord. And that's a shout out to Mar- Mariella because she actually told me that. And that is a great revelation that I, that she had that I eventually had is that you can't depend on any certain person to bring you strength, to bring you hope, because that's exhausting and you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be hopeless and you're going to start throwing stones at them because they didn't live up to the potential that you thought they had. Okay, that's good. Uh, Then David said to, in verse 7, then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. I want to point out that Abiathar wasn't the one that came to David. It was David that called to Abiathar. It was the king. It's usually the priest that comes to the king and says that we need to seek the Lord on this. But David had such an intimacy with the Lord that he was the one that brought the priest. He's the one that wanted the presence to come to him. And uh, I also want to point out that once he had the intimacy to understand that after he finds strength, that's whenever he can inquire of the Lord. That's whenever he can seek God on something. That's whenever he can show God that he wants to win, that he wants victory in something. Uh, it says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So he's in a hopeless situation, it seems like. Everyone else wants to stone him. He's like, man, I've been on the run for 14 years. I'm tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of people throwing spears at me. I'm tired of being hunted by my fellow men. I'm tired because these guys want to stone me, and I've done nothing but good for them. Also, I want to point out in 1 Samuel 29, I didn't tell them to look it up or anything, but King Achish, whenever he told David to go back to the land of Ziklag, he said that you have been nothing... You have been nothing but an angel of the Lord to me. And I found that interesting how an enemy king saw the favor of the Lord more than the once anointed king. Is that whenever you have the favor of the Lord, 
someone who isn't following the Lord, yet still in that atmosphere, will start to throw stones and start to throw spears at you. And that will cause even greater turmoil, but you'll have victory over that. Amen? Amen. So, David had the intimacy to understand that after he found the strength from the Lord, he can inquire for he can inquire of victory. He can ask for victory, and that's what the Lord showed him. In verse 9, it says, David, after he said, You, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and his six hundred men with him came to Besor Valley, where some stayed behind. Two hundred of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other four hundred continued the pursuit. I'll talk about that later, how that's important. But verse 11, it says, They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, twelve part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He was he ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave and a Malachite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites, some territory belonging to the Judah, to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag. Before I read on, I just want to point out that he said we burned Ziklag, that the Egyptian included himself in the raid. So as soon as this guy says, we burned Ziklag, I would have killed that man so fast. <laughs> like, oh, smite him. I don't know. I'm like, oh, you, you killed him. Huh? Just get him. So David asked, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He was smarter than me, obviously, because he's been on the run and he understands battle terms. Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. And I guess he agreed because later on, you see, in verse 16, it says, He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. So here they are following the Egyptian guy from the Amalekites, the one who helped raid. And they, they, once they get over the valley... They see the guys and they're all like, man, we got, we got so much plunder. This is David's plunder. The one that killed Goliath. And, the, you know, I said Saul killed one, like thousands. David, ten thousands. That guy, David, the one that killed the ten thousands. We got his stuff. We got his wives. We got his, yeah. And they're all just, they're drinking, having a good time, being unholy. <laughs> you have to say that. All right. So in verse 17, whenever they saw that, they're like, they, I bet they made a little, game plan. They're like, all right, we're going to come in from this side. But it says, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. That's good. So, the Lord previously, he said, let me see, hold on. 
in verse, what is it, 8? He said, pursue them, and he answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Not only did he say that you were going to beat them, but you're going to rescue and recover everything that was taken from you. And that's the same thing God is telling us today, is that you're going to beat whatever you're fighting, and then whatever you lost is going to be recovered in full. So you're going to get whatever you beat. You're going to get their plunder, and then you're going to get everything that was taken from you. And I believe that so much because I'm so passionate about that, is whenever you fight something, whenever, whenever you're struggling with something that has been weighing on you, that's, it felt like they took, your, they took all of your hope, they took all of your strength, but then you finally found strength in the Lord, and that's whenever you're going to have the hope, you're going to have the strength to fight on. And I, I want to name this, this sermon, I don't know, the mighty have fallen but they get back up. And I remember, I don't know, I, I remember a quote. It said, uh, Paul Coelho, he said, the secret of life, though, is to fall seven times and get up eight. Is that whenever you get punched in the face, you're like, man, that hurt. But I'm going to keep on fighting. Is that David physically, he had to understand that whenever you don't raise your shield, you get cut. So whenever you raise your shield again, you raise it higher because I'm not going to get my head cut off because I was lazy or I didn't want to be consistent with my word or I didn't want to keep on fighting the fight. If you want to keep fighting, you have to raise your shield. You have to be able to fight on. All the struggles that you face, all the, all the, all the season that you're in, wherever it feels like a wasteland, you keep pressing forward. So, Whenever they called it David's plunder, in verse 20, it says that he, all, he took all of the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. They call it David's plunder, which I found interesting. Is that, what did David say that? Did, did David say it was his plunder, or what did he say after that? In verse 26, it says, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He didn't call it his plunder. He didn't call it his enemies. He said it's on the Lord's enemies' plunder. And he understood that God is not on his side. God is not on their side. We should be on God's side. And that's, that's how he says in Joshua. I, don't, I remember whenever he asked the angel of the Lord, and he said, are you for us or are you against us? And he said, neither. The question is, are you going to be on God's side? That's whenever you overcome struggle. That's whenever you overcome enemies. That's whenever you keep fighting on is whenever you realize it's not God that's on your side. It's you that's on God's side. So another example of him saying that it's not his plunder, but Lord's plunder is verse 21. Let me get some water. Verse 21, it says, Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all of the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will, share, we will not share with them the blunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. 
David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us, delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the men who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute or an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. So he also, I mean, he did say that you must, he, he said that it was a Lord's plunder, right? But he also said that those who go stay with the supplies, those who stay with the resources, get the same amount of plunder as those who fight. So I started to think about who are the people that stay behind with your resources. It could be mentors. It could be leaders. It could be friends. Those who don't fight with you yet still give you valuable advice, resource, leadership, they're still getting that same plunder that you won maybe uh, a month later, maybe two months later in, in the kingdom mindset. There is no time restraint. There is no delay with the plunder that whenever they finally reach heaven, that there's going to be overflow because of what you fought is going to be their reward. Is that? I mean, I love that because I'm a leader, and I hope that whenever one of my guys has victory in something that I'm sharing in that plunder, whenever he's like, man, dude, I, I was struggling with this, and, and then God showed me this, and I don't struggle with it anymore. And that is the best feeling you could ever have is knowing that you're sharing in their victory, yet you actually didn't fight with them. You're still getting the reward. It's like sowing and reaping. Like, I, I sow into this man, I sow into this, um, this student, and he's reaping a reward, a harvest, a victory, and I'm getting the reward as well. And that's, I mean, he made that an ordinance where some of them might be staying with the resources, which is the same importance. I mean, if no one stays with the resources, another raiding party could come in and take it. So that's. I mean, that's true for spirituality, too. I mean, true for Christians as well, is that I'm still uh, reaping a reward of the leadership that I give people. Amen? So, uh, verse 26. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. So, he just received all that plunder. He goes back to the place that was burned, and desolated and destroyed. And you read in 27, he said, David sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those who were in Eri, Sifmoth, Eshtemoa, and Rachel, to those who were in the towns of Jeromelites, the Canites, and to those who were in Horma, Borashan, Athic, and Ebron, and to those in all other places where he and his men had roamed. So he goes back to the same place where he had maybe struggled in, and he had the victory, and he brings it to the place where he had the struggle. And that's the plunder of the Lord's enemies, meaning that you had victory over what you most struggled with, and that's whenever you give everyone else the testimony that you had, is that whenever you go to your ziklag, maybe, I don't know, maybe I struggled with pride for so long, and then I'm finally humble, I can show people how to be humble. I can show them my testimony and how to be humble because I have 
fought that. You can fight pride. You can fight struggles. And then once you realize that you have victory in something, you are more willing to give that plunder to other people. And that's exactly what David was because these evil and troublemakers said, no, let's let, let them keep their wives and keep their daughters and they can go on. But David realized the generosity of the Lord and he realizes that he has to be generous as well is whenever I get victory in something that you should know about it because you could get victory in the same thing. Amen. So he went back to the tragedy and it became the headquarters of his plunder send off of his victory. He gave the spoils. I love that. To the victor gets the spoils. I love that term. Okay, everybody can stand up. That was smooth, I know. So I want to parallel that of you getting victory and and giving to everyone else. It's, what I love is the Lord is all about unconventional victories. Is he didn't any man made victory doesn't glorify God. It's always God's intervention that he imparts and sends vessels to glorify himself. He sent Jesus. Everyone else thought he was going to overthrow the government and he overthrew their hearts. It was an unconventional victory that he had. And bless you. He sent Joshua to conquer Jericho without even laying a hand on the on the place. He had Abraham go into a distant land, had many children. He had Moses 80 years go in the wilderness to finally have his people enter the promised land. See, David expected a smooth transition into his kingship. David expected whenever maybe he, whenever he finally started playing the heart for Saul that he expected, man, this is exactly how I'm going to, I'm going to fight for Saul. He's going to be my, kind of my father, my father-in-law, and that's how I'm going to get into the position of a king. And that's where the season, I believe I am, and maybe some of you are, where you feel like you have a calling to do something. Yet there's every struggle, every obstacle in your way that's trying to maybe negate that and make you think that maybe this wasn't the right thing, this wasn't the right time, this this is breaking my heart, this is making me weep, this is just destroying me on the inside. Man-made victories doesn't impact our lives as much as God's intervention. Is that when God intervenes, that David 20 years later becomes king, but he's still known as God's man. He's still known as the man after God's own heart. And it's not the, the, I just want to show you, it's the journey to become king. It's not the original. I mean, he was still a man's after God's own heart whenever he was in the field. It's all about the journey. How are you, how is your character right now to determine your victory? I want everybody to close their eyes. I believe some of you are in that same season where you feel like you 
you're coming back to a battle. Three days later, and you see, you see maybe your heart just stripped, everything taken from you, and it's burdening you. Where you feel like you've been, I mean, whenever you go to bed at night, you can't even sleep because you've been crying all night. That your eyes are just huge because there's you there's been nonstop crying. It, it's just it's burning you. That it's just broken your heart, and it's continually. Maybe right now it's just your heart is beating because you know that's you. You know that's your season. Whenever you feel the Lord has called you to do something, everything has been in your way, and you feel like your your heart has been stripped from you. Lord, we ask you to come in this room. I, I pray your presence is, is falling and it's here so they, they can make the decision to give you their heart, Lord. To give you their heart. In every season that we're going to declare your victory in our lives. Thank you. If that's you, I want everybody's eyes closed. If that's you, where you feel like you had a calling in your life, maybe uh, you don't see your future very brightly whenever you think about the future. That whenever you finally look inside, that you feel like it's just empty, that something has been ripped from you physically. Where something, maybe someone, something or some occurrence has happened and it ripped all hope you had, where you feel like you had no strength left to go, that whenever you felt like you just got punched in the face and you can't getting up, you can't get up. I want to ask each of you to be honest with yourselves. I mean, I was honest about my season in my life, but I want you to be honest about yours. If that's you, I want some altar workers to come up, please. If that's you, where you feel like you're in the season where something was stripped from you, that all hope was taken from you, that you felt like David and you had no strength left to weep, the time is now whenever you finally find strength in the Lord, and that's through intimacy with him. And right now, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm, I'm just going to count down. If that's you, and you have no hope, I'm not judging you because I was in the same position. All of you were in the same position at one point. We're humans. David was. He was the king of Israel. If you had that opportunity in that season where you felt like you had no hope, I'm going to count to three and you can come up, you can get prayer for it because it's whenever you finally kneel down, whenever you finally lay yourself at the cross is whenever you find victory. Is in the Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus, but we have Jesus. We have that cross. We have the assurance that he is going to cover us in the time of our need.
I'm going to ask you to come up on three. One, two, three. And if you want to come up, and if you feel like you have no hope, and all hope has been taken from you, all strength has been taken from you, life has been pushing on you, you should just come up. And for those of you who didn't come up, who didn't, who aren't in that season of their life, let me just pray for you right now that you do. Lord God, I ask that you cover them in the day of war, that you cover them in the day of battle, that whenever all hope seems lost, that you are right there holding their hands, Lord, that you are willing and you are able to cover them of all all hopelessness, Lord. You are the God of victory. You are the God of healing. And we thank you right now, Lord. God, I ask that you you cover them in blessings, that you keep them safe whenever they're leaving. God, I thank you that you, you gave me the ability to give this message and that they are here to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram.